before we begin, I'll just tell you, I'm a little worn out. Um, I had the opportunity, Mary had uh, organized an opportunity for us to kind of celebrate uh, an upcoming birthday that I'm having, and so uh, we decided that uh, together as a family we'd go down to beautiful Dayton, Ohio. Where else would you want to celebrate <laughs> and, uh, a great birthday? But the reason being that uh, our boys uh, were both at Indiana Wesleyan and at Asbury, uh, that made a nice place for all of us to come and have a quick uh, kind of a time out. And so Thursday night we went up there, or down there, I should say, in Dayton. And of course on Friday, what did we do? All of us uh, gathered, we had a little Airbnb place. Uh, so we spent the day at the uh, Air Force Museum down in Dayton. And, and that was a lot of fun. I enjoyed that. I think the kids did too. And, and then of course Friday night, uh, a game was going on, so we, we headed out to Buffalo Wild Wings and watched that and had a terrific time and then came back yesterday. So I'm a little worn out. I don't know if the sermon's going to be any good or not, so uh, you'll have to kind of keep that in mind as I'm, as I'm preaching this morning. But I, I, uh, I, I feel like the Lord has laid this on my heart, and I want to share these words, and I, and I hope that we're listening and that we're prepared to receive what God has for us this morning. So would you turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 18? I'm going to begin in the middle of verse 16 and begin this, this familiar story to many of us, but let's stand together as we prepare to receive this word. May God honor it as we, as we share it together. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 16, in the middle. Hear the word of the Lord. And Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is God. Perhaps he is deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted even louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. 
Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah came to all the people. Come, here to me. And they came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two seahs of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. And then he said to them, Fill four jars large with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said. They did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it a third time. The water ran down the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. May God add his blessing to that word. You may be seated. A few years ago, a noted psychologist named Ruth Berenda carried out an interesting experiment with teenagers designed to show how a person handled group pressure. The plan was simple. They brought groups of 10 teenagers into a room for a test. Subsequently, each group of 10 was instructed to raise their hands when the teacher pointed out to the longest line on three separate charts. What one person in the group did not know was that nine others in the room had been instructed ahead of time to vote for the second longest line. Regardless of the instructions they heard once they got into the room, the, the nine were not to vote for the longest line, but rather vote for the next to the longest line. Well, the experiment began with the nine teenagers voting for the wrong line. The, the stooge would typically glance around and frown a little bit in confusion, and then, of course, would slip his hand up with the group. The instructions were repeated, the next card was raised, and time after time, the self-conscious stooge would just kind of sit there saying that the short line is longer than the long line. Why? Simply because he lacked the courage to challenge the group. This remarkable conformity occurred in 75% of the cases. And I think, where does that come from? We don't want to be different. We would prefer not to stand out. Now, I want to tell you this morning, it is not easy to stand alone, whether you're a teenager or you're 80 years old. But the moral implications of that experiment are rather frightening. What happens to us in a society where the majority of people say that the shorter line is longer than the longest? 
What, what happens in a society when two plus two no longer equals four? Or that a man is not a man, but a woman. And a woman is not a woman, but a man. What, what happens when the majority of our society says that evil is good and good is evil? Isaiah chapter 5 verse 20 reminds us, Woe to those, God says, who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who puts bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. It's very difficult to stand against the tide of popular opinion. We all like to be appreciated. We all want to be thought of well. We, we want to be liked. But as Christians, one of the things I think we have to develop is the capacity to stand for truth, even when it means standing by ourselves. Amen? I'm going to ruffle some feathers this morning when I, when I say this, but, but I think when it comes to politics today, I don't know about you, but I feel like I am in a wilderness I see, and I see so many, especially in evangelical circles, the evangelical leadership of, of the evangelical church today has become far too chummy with the leadership in the Republican Party. The capitulation of some really core values has lessened the credibility of evangelicalism in our society as a whole. And I see Satan using some of those people to undermine the credibility of legitimate Christian faith. And it bothers me. As Beth Moore recently wrote, nothing on earth can make sober people drunker than being invited to a table where they can sip on power. It is like a drug like no other. And I see many evangelical leaders have become drunk on their access to the White House, and I'm afraid they have forgotten their first allegiance. Listen, I'm a pastor who cares about the unborn, and I care about religious liberty, and I also care about immigrants, and I also care about poverty and the care of creation, and yes, economic prosperity and honoring alliances. I believe that Christians must speak prophetically against the idols of every political party and politician. That is the way of Jesus, and I want you to know I intend to follow his lead. Christianity will become increasingly unpopular in our day. We're told by Jesus that wickedness will continue to increase. In Matthew 24, Jesus says, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. You know, the pleasures of this world are so available and so enticing that it just draws out the carnal nature of men and women. The, the world is so attractive that Christianity looks rather dull in comparison you know, the media paints those who believe the Bible as those who harbor bigotry and revel in ignorance as a virtue. Now, the prophet Elijah serves as an inspiration and an example of one who's willing to stand alone. Here was a, a courageous man, and he was willing to confront. He was not 
he was open to standing and not afraid to stand for the truth, even if it meant standing all by himself. His obligation was to call the nation back to a fundamental faith in God. His intent was to restore the worship of the nation back to Jehovah God. The first of the Ten Commandments to Israel shouted out, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Yet as we look at this era of Israel's history, the stage had been set. Israel had been seduced and succumbed to worshiping the visible idol Baal, bargaining for political allegiance, false hope of prosperity, and the promise of sensuality. And so Elijah the prophet had the courage to stand up and say enough and stand for the truth and proclaim judgment. And this morning, I want you to see his courage in three scenes in this chapter. And the first is when he confronts King Ahab. Now, you'll recall, and we've looked at this the last couple of weeks, three years before he had confronted Ahab, and he had been told that there is not going to be any rain in Israel. There will be a major famine. King Ahab had, had permitted and encouraged worship of Baal and Elijah had proclaimed judgment. And we know that that prophecy had come true. For three years, Elijah had been isolated. He had been alone with God, testing his faith and testing his character. We've looked at that the last couple of weeks. And Elijah had learned to, to trust God above everything. And Ahab had been searching for Elijah. Ahab wanted to take Elijah's life. But I want you to notice the courage of Elijah when one day he steps out again onto the scene. Now notice Ahab's first words when he saw Elijah. He says, is that you, you troubler of Israel? Now think about that for a moment with me. What trouble has Elijah made? Well, because of the drought, the economy is devastated. People are hungry. Many are dying. Remember, Baal was supposed to be the god of the storm. Baal was supposed to take care of them. He was supposed to provide prosperity. He was supposed to provide the water. And yet Ahab is blaming Elijah for his trouble. He charges him with being an enemy of the state because there was no rain in the land. It's kind of like getting mad at the mailman because he delivered a notice from the IRS that you're going to be audited when you know you've cheated. It's not the mailman's fault, and it wasn't Elijah's fault. He was just the messenger of God. And verse 18 says, Elijah shoots back, I have not made trouble for Israel, but you and your family, father's family have. You have failed to obey the Lord's command. Again, God's first command, thou shalt have no other gods before me. The greatest command in Scripture, thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your strength. That's why there's not been any rain here, Ahab, for three years. It's your fault, Ahab. Now listen, I want you to know this morning that if you have the courage to stand for truth, you will often stand alone. And other people will regard you as a troubler. You will be known as a troublemaker. Maybe you're at school and the morals of other students are loose. And if you don't participate in the language and the activities, 
Maybe it's drinking or drugs. Maybe it's sexual activity. You're, you're, you're not only going to be alone, but you will be regarded as a troublemaker. It's interesting to me, the Hebrew word for troubler here, it could also be accurately translated as snake or viper. So Ahab is saying, hey, you know good, low-down snake when he talks to Elijah. Maybe you feel that way at your work and your conscience dictates to you that I'm not going to quit till it's quitting time. And yet, in the office there, they, they kind of take it off the first or the last 20 minutes. And you'll not only be working alone, but you'll be seen as a troublemaker because there you are making them look bad. Or maybe you're a school teacher and you have the courage to teach that God created the world. Or you have the courage to teach that there are certain moral standards that need to be adhered to. You will be regarded as a troublemaker. You'll be accused of violating the separation of church and state. If you oppose abortion, you're against women. If you oppose gay marriage, you aren't loving. And you know what I've observed? It's not just that the world regards a person who stands for truth and doesn't like a troubler. It can happen in the church. Listen, you're not lock, stock, and barrel with a certain political party. Your faith is questioned. If someone steps up and tries to confront an issue, they're a troublemaker. And yet Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, we must all learn to hear what we do not like. The question is not, is it pleasant, but is it true? As Christians, we need to be willing to stand courageously for the truth, regardless of the opposition, even if it means that you have to be in the minority. Elijah would be outnumbered 450 prophets of Baal and another 400 Asherah prophets. That means 850 to 1. Antonin Scalia was a justice of the Supreme Court who often found himself in the minority when it came to decisions on the Supreme Court. Shortly before he died, he gave a speech and he said these words. He said, God assumed from the beginning that the wise of the world would view Christians as fools. And he has not been disappointed. If I have brought any message today, it is this. Have the courage to have your wisdom regarded as stupidity. And then he added, be fools for Christ and have the courage to suffer the contempt of the sophisticated world. I thought those were wise words. Second, I think a lesson we learned on Mount Carmel is this. I, I want you to see Elijah's courage in his challenge of the people of Israel. Elijah summons the people to come to Mount Carmel. This is a high hill overlooking the, the, the sea of the Mediterranean Sea. And in verse 21, it says, Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. Elijah here is placing a clear choice for the people. He said, You've been trained to worship the Lord your God and him only. But now along comes Jezebel, and she introduces this Baal worship, and it's sensual, and it's exciting. And the Israelites are thinking, well, maybe we have been too restrictive in just worshiping one God. Maybe we ought to let loose and have some fun. Let's worship both. 
But Elijah says, you can't do that. He stands before them and says, you need to make a choice. Your allegiance must be to one or the other. If God is God, follow him. And if Baal is God, follow him. Peter Marshall, the great pastor, once concluded a sermon. And the last sentence of that sermon was this. He said, if Jehovah is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him and go to hell. And then he sat down. And that's exactly what Elijah is saying. Make up your mind. Listen, our issue today is not bowing down to Baal. I don't think that's our issue. But our idols are there, and they may be more subtle, but they're true. Today in our society, in our culture, I'll tell you one of our idols is, we worship sex. The reason abortion is an issue in our culture today is not because we don't believe that abortion is killing a baby. Anybody who has ever seen an ultrasound can make that determination quickly and easily. But in our society, a higher priority is the fact that we worship sex. And anything that might inhibit our ability to have sex when we want it, that's a problem. Sex is our God. By the way, that's the reason that the issue of gay marriage is such an issue. We believe that everything has to bow down to one's desire for sex. We can't possibly believe that it might be God's will for someone to live a celibate life that concentrates on him and finding God's fulfill, or fulfillment in God's presence. And so, and this happens in the church, we've watered down God's word to say something else. But I'll tell you, there's another idol we worship. We worship stuff and money. Jesus made it clear we ought to store up our treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, but we'd rather take our chances here on earth. And so, time and time again, we make bad investments. I was reading John Piper this week, and he wrote this. He said, if you share the desire of the world, you will pass away. You will not only lose your treasure, you will lose your life. If you love the world, it will pass away and take you with it. Elijah says, you have to make a choice. But notice verse 21. It says the people said nothing. It just kind of sat there in silence, like many of you right now. Just, just, just leave it alone. They didn't want to have to make a decision. They didn't want to have to make a choice. But I want to say to you today, it's time, folks, we make up our minds. If God is God, let's follow him. If you want to make sex your God or your treasure your God, you can follow that. But too many Christians think they can have it both ways. They vacillate between two opinions and they pretend that I'm a pretty good Christian on Sunday. 
Billy Graham told about a zookeeper that had a gorilla that died, and the owner suddenly panicked because he had to have a, a gorilla for his guests. So he bought an ape costume and hired a guy and said, listen, I, I want you to play the part of this gorilla and put on the costume and I want you to bounce around and growl a little at people and eat bananas and the like. Well, the man said, okay, I'll give it a try. And just a surprise, he, he had a lot of fun doing it. It was kind of an interesting day. He had a great time entertaining people, growling at them every once in a while. But it came time for a break, and, and he got rather clumsy. I mean, after all, you can't see too well in the costume. And he ended up stumbling over an embankment right into the lion's cage. Well, the, the lion begins to make its way over, interesting, and wondering what's going on. The lion roars, and so the guy in the gorilla outfit calls out, Help! 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 But then he heard the lion say, Shut up, you stupid, before you get us both fired. A lot of Christians are pretending like that. They, they put on the Christian outfit. They keep it. Keep quiet, pretend enough. Keep their popularity. They can have it both ways. But Elijah is saying to the Israelites and he's saying to us, make up your mind. Listen, my friends, there are people in this room who need to hear Elijah's words today. If God is God, follow him. If your idol is God, follow it. But just know there are eternal consequences to your decision. You can't have it both ways. Listen to Jesus. He said, I would rather you be hot or cold than to be lukewarm. If you are lukewarm, I will spew you out of my mouth. The people said nothing. So Elijah calls the prophets of Baal to a test. And of course, what happens here is one of the most dramatic moments in Scripture. He says, whichever God answers with fire will prove himself to be God. And the people say, that sounds like a good idea. The prophets of Baal agree. They set up their altar and they begin to pray for fire. But as you see here, there was no answer. They shout from morning till noon. They dance, they cut themselves. And at noon, Elijah begins to taunt them. I don't think he can hear you. He's busy. Maybe he's on a trip. He's taking a nap. If you really read the Hebrew, it's a little more graphic than that. I'll be even nice when I say, Elijah said, he's, maybe he's going to the bathroom. Here's this man of God taunting them. This false God makes all kinds of promises, but never delivers. And, and then they finally give up. It's Elijah's turn. And we see him build an altar, a very simple altar of 12 stones. He digs a trench around the altar. He finds as much water as they can find. And then what does Elijah do? The scripture says he simply prays. And look, look at the prayer. He prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and I have done all of these things at your command. 
Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so these people will know, O Lord, that you are God and that you are, and notice this, you are turning their hearts back again. Lord, show us who you are. Let, let us see you, O God. Reveal yourself in this moment so that you may turn their hearts, the hearts of these people, back again to you. These people who used to know you, they used to worship you, they used to serve you, but these false gods, O God, have taken your place. O God, turn their hearts back again. And that is the message this morning. You know, as I read this passage, I feel such conviction for so many of us. Because there are those of you in this room, you're walking away from him. You've been drifting. Uh, and some false god or combination of false gods have begun to take the throne of your life. But you're here today in this place where God has come and he wants this place to be a place, this beautiful sanctuary where hearts are turned back to him. The fire fell, it licked up the water, the whole altar was consumed, the wood, the stone, everything was dust. And the people fell on the ground and they said, the Lord he is God. The Lord. He is God. You know, as I read that story, I found myself thinking, well, God, this morning, if you would show up with a great ball of fire, I'm sure that this would be a much more effective message. Why don't you do that? That would really be cool in this new place. It makes sure that people would know that you're serious. Lord, send some fire today. And yet, why doesn't God do that? He could, right? But why doesn't he show himself like that? And then I realized something. God has shown himself in a much more beautiful and intimate way. When 2,000 years ago, he left heaven and he became one of us in Jesus. And Jesus stood alone. He stood alone on trial. He was alone on the cross. When he died for our sin. So why? That we might turn our hearts back him and I believe this if we could just know him we would never be tempted to serve those false gods because the one true God is so much greater so where do you stand this morning who is God in your life what are you going to do at this altar. 
This morning, we're going to have Tim come in just a moment, but I'm going to make an altar call. I think it is fitting as we begin this journey together in this place that has been renovated that we ask God's fire to fall. And you remember in the New Testament, we had a different kind of fire. It wasn't a fire necessarily that you could see. It was a fire in men's hearts where we together proclaim God is God and I choose today to follow him. And my friends, if you've been drifting or maybe you've never made a decision, but this is your day and you say, I'm going to follow him. I'm going to invite you to come. And we're going to worship together and we're going to celebrate his presence. Oh God, let the fire fall here with us this morning. Let's pray together. Father, this has been a hard message. It's a hard one for me. I at some points felt like I was standing alone. And yet, Lord, I realized that through the power of your spirit, I don't have to stand alone. Lord, I pray that you would tune my heart to your heart today. Lord, in those places where I have drifted from you and where I have put something else on the altar, I pray that, God, I might surrender that and put you first. I pray, Lord, that where we have drifted away from you, that you would turn our hearts back to you again. That we would not be silent but that we as one body would proclaim the Lord, he is God. The Lord is, he is God. And we would take off the mask, we would take off the, the, the duplicity and the vacillation, and we would determine that with our whole hearts, we choose to follow you. So Father, in this next few moments, I pray that you would come, may your spirit fall, may your people seek you. And that, Lord, when we walk away, that we know that we have been changed. Tune our hearts to yours, we pray this morning, because of the love and the grace of the person you sent in Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit who comes in fire. May you be a consuming fire today. Take all of us. We pray this in your holy name. Amen and amen. My friends, this altar is open. I'll invite you to stand and come. souls to another and give us clean hands give us pure hearts let us not lift our souls to another don't God let us be a generation that seeks that seeks your face oh God oh Jacob and oh God let be generation that seeks, that seeks your face, O God of Jacob. So I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you, it's all about you, Jesus. 
is making a decision right now. Who are you going to follow? If God is God, follow him. If Baal is God, if that idol is God, follow it. But follow it with clear eyes and clear understanding where that takes you. Young people, if you're going to 
follow after the way of the world and pursue drugs or alcohol and sexual promiscuity, I'm going to tell you there will be a cost that is higher than you want to pay. But if you follow God, while it may not seem as exciting at points, I promise you this, giving your heart to God completely, you will find fulfillment and ultimate joy. Lord, I pray this morning that you will have your way in our hearts. That the fire would fall on North Olmsted Friends Church and you would consume anything, Lord, that is not of you. And that, Lord, we would see your glory. Thank you that you sent Jesus Christ, that we would beheld his glory and we know with certainty his love for us, his mercy, his forgiveness, his grace. May we, Lord, follow him. Lord, use us completely for his glory. We leave this place now thankful for what you've done and thankful for what you're going to do in the days ahead in this place. We pray these things through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen and amen. The Lord, he is God. Remember that today. God bless.